Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. A busy baseball week. Winter meetings taking place down in San Diego. And there was some pretty good activity, as a matter of fact. We're going to break the couple of moves down individually, but also ask some uh, general MLB questions of our next guest. One of the best who follows it day in and day out. He's doing it these days for Bleach Report. You'll catch him every once in a while on Sirius XM's MLB Network Radio as well. Scott Miller joins us here on CBS Sports Radio. How is San Diego, Scotty? Hey, Jody. Good. I have to say, everybody loves coming to San Diego. The hotel is uh, very workable for those working the winter meetings. The, you can walk outside of the hotel to any number of fine dinner establishments, including fish taco places. <laughs> and personally, anytime we go to the winter meetings and I don't have to get on a plane, I can just drive on down. I am thrilled. All right. How long did it take you from uh, wherever Shea Miller is to get to the designated <laughs> location in San Diego? Well, you know, this is going to sound funny, um, but so it's about 40 minutes, uh, roughly. It's going to to sound funny, though, because uh, this describes the winter meetings to you and to listeners. Um, I live about 40 minutes out. I stayed in the hotel all week. I checked in Sunday and (laughs) left Thursday because you have to, even even at 40 minutes. I mean, that Garrett Cole trade, I mean, trade, uh, Garrett Cole uh, free agent signing by the Yankees that happened on Tuesday night. It was late enough. You know, by the time I finished writing, it was it was about San Diego time. It was about one thirty in the morning, right. and um, you know, so I mean, you, you work these things go all day, and then they go into the night, and then even if there's not a breaking story, you, you can't really leave. You need to go to the hotel bar because you might run into some executives, and then you know how it is at, at eleven o'clock or midnight at night. That's that's sometimes when you find out really what's going on. Um, that's true. Uh, it's a 24 hour news cycle during the three or four days that the winter meetings are taking place and you don't want to be outside the cycle. So, and your wife probably knew she could get you in an emergency and you were out for under, <laughs> under her thumb. So it probably worked out well, well in the Miller house. Uh, you good for very good, well, that's good exactly. for both you and her. <laughs> All right. Um, as I described it, there was pretty darn good activity. Some mega signings uh, that we'll break down and get to. Uh, and a goodly number of signings, not massive activity, but certainly more so than last year when everyone was complaining slash whining about the amount of inactivity and what didn't go down at the winter meeting, so much so that uh, media members and or some people in baseball speculating about maybe we need to make some changes to the rules and add an off-season trade deadline and the like. The activity here at this year's winter meetings put all those conversations on hold. Yeah, I, I would say so. I, I put it this way. I have not heard uh, much come up. I haven't heard anything this winter about, about, you know, things are so slow. There should be a deadline in the winter, like a deadline, whatever it is, December 30th, by when all free agents have to sign or anything like that. Um, I, I think, 
it's it's uh, somewhat back to normal this winter after after a really really slow winter last year and maybe a couple of slow years in a row. Um, yeah, I mean the money that was thrown right. It's kind of it's almost it seems like we're going to have two different uh, stages this winter. It seems like the free agent season and then the trading season because so far it's been almost all free agent activity, especially the big ones: Garrett Cole, Steven Strasburg, Anthony Rendon. Uh, you know, Chicago Cubs talking with uh, general manager Jed Hoyer on Thursday as as everyone was departing from the winter meetings after they were wrapping up. Uh, you know, the Cubs are looking to trade and they're looking to rearrange some of their nucleus, um, you know, whether it's trading Chris Bryant or whomever. But take Bryant as an example. Um, you know, the Cubs, I don't believe this this week they had plenty of trade conversations and enough to know who's interested in, in their players, be it Bryant or Wilson Contreras or whomever. But if they're going to trade Bryant, again, to use him as an example, hard to say. My gut tells me they will. But right now, the, the teams that need free, free agents, they were looking at Anthony Rendon, who was introduced today in Anaheim uh, by the Los Angeles Angels, who signed him on Wednesday. Uh, their teams are looking at, at Josh Donaldson. Uh, you know, in other words, you look at the free agent, you shop in the free agent aisle first. Because if you can afford one of those guys, then you can have your third baseman, who is a marquee guy, and that's going to help you. Also, it doesn't cost you any of your own prospects. You know, you can just sign a guy and move on. Whereas if the Cubs are to trade Bryant, for example, they have to wait till Rendon signs and Donaldson signs and maybe, you know, another guy or two before the clubs that get shut out on the free agent market. Now they're ready to talk trade. So that's what it looks like the way this winter is going to shape up. Understood. Scotty Miller from Bleacher Report, our guest talking MLB here with us on CBS Sports Radio. I you mentioned the three big free agent signings. Scott Boras had a pretty good week since he represents Cole Strasburg and Rendon, and he was a guy who people were pointing fingers at last year that he was holding up the free agent market. What changed him, the individuals that he was representing, the way teams decided to bid this year? Why do you think the results are in, which tells you Scott uh, Boris wasn't doing it on purpose last year. He's doing it because he thought it was best for his clients. He got him signed quickly this year because he thought it was best for his clients. What do you think changed? I think what changed is a combination of things. One, the clients he had. Um, um, and, and two, I don't think you can diminish the import of the Yankees jumping back into the free agent mix, right? I mean, the last few years, they've been really quiet in the winter. They've tried to get under the luxury tax and rearrange their finances until they, and and, and when they did that, then they were going to be ready to pounce again. That was them this winter with Garrett Cole. Um, You know, had the Yankees been ready to jump last year, maybe we we would have seen them sign Bryce Harper, um, you know, at the winter meetings or Manny Machado, but you know what you saw. You know Harper was a was a Boris uh, is a Boris client, um, and you know the Phillies didn't get serious last year until late in the winter after spring training had started. And you know you just didn't have. It wasn't like the Yankees were coming after Bryce Harper or any of the other deep pocketed teams. You know um, this year, I think a couple things happened. One, as I said, I think most importantly, the Yankees decided. Garrett Cole's our guy. We're going to open our checkbook and get him. Um, that 
always means the money's going to start to flow when the Yankees are interested. But secondly, I think it moves so quick with them because of the Strasburg thing. I never thought Strasburg was going to leave the Nationals. It was almost like, like um, you know, Clayton Kershaw a couple of years ago when he, he opted out of his Dodgers deal. Well, he was going to resign with the Dodgers. I thought the same with Strasburg. I know people started to get excited uh, given the year he had. But look, Steven Strasburg, uh, about a year ago, he, he, he's, he sold his home in San Diego. He moved. He and his wife and, and their, their two really uh, cute little girls, uh, their family lives in the Washington, D.C. area year-round. They really like the area. They settled there. The oldest child is, is about of school age. And so what I think happened is the Nationals clearly wanted to keep him. And so even though he opted out, I thought the best chance was that the Nationals re-sign him. And once they did, that was Monday at the winter meetings. And then so, boom, that basically set the bar for what Garrett Cole was going to sign for. You know, once the Nationals in Strasburg redid that deal for, you know, $245 million, Okay, well, you knew Cole was going to be well north of that, probably around three hundred million, and you know it took just a couple conversations between Boris and his people, and the Dodgers, the Angels, and the Yankees, and the Yankees were like, "We're not losing out on Garrett Cole." So I think the Strasburg situation led to the Cole situation, the Yankees being involved, everything lined up just, and then the Angels, by the way, Artie Marino, who we've seen spend big in the past, right? Albert Pujols contract. Vladdy Guerrero several years back, uh, Bartolo Colon. I think the other thing was, you know, Artie Marino is getting frustrated with losing. They're looking at losing out on Mike Trout's prime time. And so you knew the Angels were serious when they hired Joe Madden. I mean, you know, they, they fired Brad Osmus after just one year. and Not that Osmus, it was his fault. That's another conversation. But when they brought in Joe Madden, it's like, you know what? They're not just going to bring in Joe Madden and leave it at that. They, they're coming off a horrible year. Moreno's frustrated. He's ready to spend money. And he tried to bring Garrett Cole in. When that failed, that opened the door for Anthony Rendon. All right. A uh, couple questions off the points that you just made. Um, very famously, decade and change ago, uh, the Yankees were deemed to be the evil empire by a specific executive from their maiden rival, the Boston Red Sox. It hasn't really been that fitting a term over the last decade, seeing as the Yankees haven't won a World Series. They haven't always had the highest payroll in baseball, certainly when George Steinbrenner was running thing and they were winning uh, multiple World Series and always had the highest payroll. You could surely refer to them as the evil empire. It hasn't been that way for a while now, probably since the A-Rod signing, as a matter of fact. Uh, the money that they lavished on Cole and the amount that they're going to pay him they're back to be an evil empire, at least in some people's eyes. Is that a good thing or a bad thing for baseball? You know, I, I think it's probably a good thing because for a couple reasons. One, uh, when the when when there's a villain, people pay attention. That's why the Yankees Red Sox rivalry peaked back in the range from 2000 to 2004 that that rivalry was at its best because the Yankees had just uh, entered into their latest part of their dynasty, their most recent dynasty Yankees win it all in 96, 98, 99, 2000 got to the point where that was evil empire. They're winning it almost every year. 
Red Sox and everybody else got desperate to try to knock him off. Um, I think it's not bad for baseball when there's a villain in the picture. And secondly, when the Yankees look at that time frame back then, what happened is everybody was desperate to knock the Yankees off. So the Red Sox, among other teams, ratcheted up their payroll and their, their, their competitive level, competition level. And they eventually had to figure out a way around the Yankees. Um, what the, this recent Cole signing, I think, is going to do, it's interesting, Jody, that it comes at a time when the Red Sox are trying to get below the luxury tax and, and, and ratchet things down just a little bit. So I think what you're going to see is I think you're going to see the Yankees blow past the Red Sox. People in Boston are going to get really frustrated. They're going to get sick of hearing about the Yankees again. Uh, meanwhile, if you're the Red Sox, if you're the Astros, whoever it is, um, you know, you're going to look at the Yankees and that's who's now setting the bar. And I think, you know, it's going to cause forced teams to try if, if unless you just want to sit back and watch the Yankees, you know, reel off three world series titles in the next five years, clubs are going to have to step it up again, you know, in both in spending money and in ways of trying to be creative to win. All right. Last thing for you, Scott, and this didn't break till after the winter meetings, and I'll be honest with you, I'm still a little confused by it. I think I generally understand it. I just don't understand the specifics, and I know not all the specifics have been announced. Ioannis Cespedes has had his contract cut. He was yeah. scheduled to make $29 million for the Mets this year, didn't play at all because of an injury he suffered during the offseason when he was coming back from the injury he got in 2018. And the Mets cut his salary from last year and are going to cut his salary in this upcoming season with some incentives placed in there that he can earn back most of what he was supposed to make, which was another $29 million this year. I guess I'm a little surprised that Cespedes didn't go to the mat. This is usually the thing, that, the kind of thing that is decided in a court of law or an arbitrator's office or whatever. But I guess they negotiated this out and Cespedes bought into it. Was he that afraid that the ruling was going to go against him and he was going to have it all, ta- all that money taken out of his pocket? Yeah, it certainly that that's the way I read it, Jody. I think it, 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 you're right. It's very interesting because he was due about twenty nine and a half million dollars in this upcoming year, his final year. Uh, you know, the way it's been restructured, the Mets reportedly are going to save more than ten million dollars. Um, Cespedes hasn't played at all since July of 2018, and and when he had the bad injury during his rehabilitation. He was re- he was rehabbing from surgery on both of his feet, his heels. He had surgery on both feet, and um, and he was down there in Florida rehabbing at the Mets facility at Port St. Lucie, and he's got a ranch down there. And I can't remember. Uh, I'd have to do a lot of research. But I can't remember a player out on a rehabilitation assignment who then somehow does something to get himself to injure himself and not just injure himself, but injure it to the point where you fracture an ankle. I know there's a lot of speculation that he fell off a horse. The Mets have never said what happened, nor has Cespedes. Um, but he has a ranch near Port St. Lucie. So he's down there rehabbing and then he goes home to his ranch and does something at the ranch where he fractures his ankle. I think clearly by them reworking his contract, it's, it, it's obvious 
whatever, however he fractured that ankle, fall off a horse, whatever it was, uh, he was doing some stuff, something he was not supposed to be doing while he was rehabilitating. Um, Brody Van Wagenen, by the way, was his agent who negotiated this contract in the first place, the, the original $75 million deal. Then Brody Van Wagenen becomes general manager of the Mets. So Van Wagenen clearly has a relationship with Cespedes. He clearly knows more about this contract than anybody else because he negotiated it to begin with. And I think the fact that he was able to get Cespedes to agree to this is pretty telling that, as you said, if, if Cespedes had any sliver of daylight, he would go to the mat, they'd file a grievance. I, I think, I don't know if we'll ever know exactly how he injured himself, but I think this guarantees that the Mets and Cespedes have agreed that however he injured himself, he was doing something he wasn't supposed to do, and Cespedes has admitted this and agreed to take a pay cut. Well, he agreed to take the pay cut. He's going to show up at some point, but I'll give you another guarantee. He's not going to be a happy camper. There's no way that he comes into camp all smiles and uh, rainbows. Uh, If the Mets get anything out of him, I would consider that uh, icing on the cake, and I would be pleasantly surprised because I don't think it's going to be uh, sitting around the campfire singing Kumbaya. It's been diminishing returns for this guy for years, and you're right. I I think – if the Mets get anything out of him, it's going to be a victory for the Mets because I, I agree with you. And I mean, you know, Cespedes is, is people around him will say, you know, he's, he's seen his last couple of years, he seemed far more interested in golf than he did in his job, you know, playing baseball. And he would golf all day before games and, and uh, just, you know, it was his pattern of behavior never did uh, lend itself to making people think, this guy's really, really a dedicated baseball player. You know, I mean, he came into a ton of money. And I also think, remember, Oakland traded him, Detroit let him. He seemed to be a fit in Detroit, but they let him go. The Mets, I mean, you know, it's the old story as well, right, Jody? That, that you know, when guys move, change teams frequently, oftentimes there's, there's a reason they keep changing teams. And it's not the player so much as the teams are like, okay, we couldn't, We've seen enough of his act, and we're gonna. We don't want to pay him. We want him to move on. It'll be interesting to see when he does show up at City Field this year. Scotty, good stuff. Uh, glad you had a good week out there in Cali. Thanks for the insight tonight. We shall talk again soon enough. Sounds good, Jody. Happy holidays to you and your family, and all the listeners out there. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.